Well, it's good to see everybody here today, and um, trust that God has um, brought you here today, and that maybe even you had an inkling of a thought that, what does the Lord want to say to me this morning? How does he want to minister to me this morning? Whatever's going on in your life, I'm, I'll guarantee you that he wants to address you right where you're at. He wants to encourage you right where you're at. And he wants to pour his life into you this morning. Life itself is a trial. We're always on trial. We're being tested until God takes us home. Before we come to know Jesus, after we've known him, and as we continue to know him, life puts us in a place where we can feel like we're on trial. How are you going to come through? How are you going to come out? One man said that your trial will be your triumph. Is that how you view your trials? Let's pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, as we come to look today just at the journey that Jesus took on his way to, to the cross, on his way to what we call Easter, on his way to the Friday night, on his way to the Sunday morning. Father, help us to uh, look together, and be encouraged together, and be uplifted together, and realize that uh, you love us so much, and you have a life for us that only you can give. No matter where we're at, what our thoughts are, you love us unconditionally, and you want to love us into such a place where we will des desire you, where we'll be like the deer that pants for the water brooks, for that living water. And we'll try to do all we can to find that place where we can drink from a fountain, drink from you and be filled with you, be nourished and refreshed. Help us, uh, Father, to come to that place this morning, that place of realization that you love us so much, so deeply. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Um, this is, you know, this is the journey that I'm looking at this for us as a church that um, our, our focus, uh, like last week, where Jesus resolutely set his face to go to Jerusalem and how he uh, went there, he went voluntarily, he went vicariously to, to, to the cross, which means he went there for you and for me in our place, and um, he went there victoriously, he didn't go as a victim. And we don't need to come to Jesus as a victim. We need to come to him in a victorious way. And so now this morning, I thought we'd take a look at a passage or a theme that I always love, and I don't think it can ever be overdone. But that is that journey that Peter took, the disciples took, but specifically Peter took, as he walked with his Lord through this time, through this Easter period, coming up to that Easter, coming up to that time when Jesus was arrested, brutalized, crucified, and rose again. And ultimately, though, in the resurrection, when Jesus received the power from on high. So I want us to take a look at that and then also ask you, what is this saying to you? What would this say to you this morning? What, in your journey, in your life, in the things that you've been dealing with, I'm just trusting that the Holy Spirit 
will be able to speak to and minister to you in this way. In, uh, in, the, in the gospel, I want you to turn. I'm going to look at a couple of passages. But I want you to turn, first of all, to Matthew 26. Matthew 26. I want you to go to, here's a dialogue here, starting at verse 31. Matthew 26, verse 31. And Jesus, this is where Jesus is going to predict Peter's denial. Jesus predicts Peter's denial. Then Jesus said to them, all of you will be made to stumble because of me this night. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. But after I have been raised, I will go before you to Galilee. And then here's Peter. Peter answered and said to him, even if all are made to stumble because of you, I will never be made to stumble. And put those words deep in your spirit. Have you ever said that to the Lord? No matter what anybody else does, I won't. And Jesus said to him, Assuredly, I say to you that this night, before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. And Peter said to him, Even if I have to die with you, I will not deny you. And so said all of the disciples. Now, there's a key thing in there, just really quickly, to say that when Jesus said to them, I say to you that this night, that you there is plural. He's, when he addresses his disciples there, he's saying, all of you are going to deny me. All of you. But then to Peter, before the roaster crows, you, singular, will deny me three times. So this doesn't exclude any of them. And as we know from history, and we know from reading the scripture, and anybody that's gone to Sunday school class, you know that they all abandoned Jesus when he went to the cross. When things got tough, when life got tough. But Peter was assured in his own mind, he, felt, he kind of felt that he, would, um, he, he, wouldn't, he wouldn't deny him. But he hadn't been really assaulted with, with such temptation and such, and such a human temptation and human struggle to say, I know that, I know Jesus in the midst of a trial when Jesus was on trial. So, and the first thing I want us to look at is the fact that when, when Jesus said this, he knew that he was going to be arrested, he was going to be betrayed by Judas, he was going to be arrested, he was going to be taken into Jerusalem, and he was going to be put on trial. And there were going to be false witnesses that would be encouraged to come forward and tell lies about him. He would be there and he would be beaten. He would be laughed at, he would be scoffed at. Uh, later on, um, when he faced the Sanhedrin, which is really the religious leaders of the day, this is even before he comes to, to Rome and to, and to, the, um, to be tried as, as, uh, by the Romans, he faced his, the religious leaders. And if you go further in this Gospel of Matthew, into chapter 26, verse 57 where it says, and those who had laid hold of Jesus led him away to Caiaphas, the high priest, where the scribes and the elders were assembled. These are the people that were going to try him, the religious people. 
But then here's Peter. But Peter followed him at a distance to the high priest's courtyard. And he went in and sat with the servants to see the end. Now the chief priests, the elders, and all the council sought false testimony against Jesus to put him to death. So they were finding false testimonies, but they found none. But even though many false witnesses came forward, even though many false witnesses came forward, they found none. But at at last, two false witnesses came forward and said, This fellow said, I am able to destroy the temple of God and to build it in three days. And the high priest rose and said to him, Do you answer nothing? What is it these men testify about you? He's talking to Jesus. But Jesus kept silent. And the high priest answered and said to him, I put you under oath by the living God. Tell us if you are the Christ, the Son of God. Jesus said to him, It is as you said. Nevertheless, I say to you, hereafter you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of the power and coming on the clouds of heaven. And this just infuriated the religious leaders. Then the high priest tore his clothes, saying, He has spoken blasphemy. What further need do we have of witnesses? Look, now you have heard his blasphemy. What do you think? They answered They answered and said, He's deserving of death. Now Peter's watching this. He's watching this trial. This is his Lord that he has served for three years, served alongside. You know, he was a fisherman. He was just out there fishing. And Jesus walked along and said, hey, come follow me. I'll make you a fisherman. Wow. You know, Jesus was the one when, when uh, Peter was the one when Jesus uh, was wa- on the water. He hopped out of the boat and started walking toward Jesus. He, and of course he sank, but he immediately got his eyes back on Jesus and Jesus lifted him up. He, he was the one that went up on the high mountain and had that transfigured moment where eventually they saw Jesus only. You know, he had all these experiences with Jesus, and he's, now he's watching Jesus with false witnesses being accused, and he's in the courtyard. It doesn't mention the other disciples that said that they will also turn away, but Peter's there watching. As this man says, he's deserving of death. Verse 67 says, And they spat in his face, and they beat him. And others struck him with the palms of their hands, saying, Prophesy to us, Christ, who is the one who struck you? Peter's watching this. Jesus was on trial. And this is where it says that Peter sat outside the courtyard, and a servant girl came to him, saying, Hey, you were also with Jesus of Galilee. But he denied it. There's his first denial. I'll never deny you. I'll even go to my death for you. No, you won't. But he denied it before them all, saying, I do not know what you are saying. And when he had gone out to the gateway, another girl saw him and said to those who were there, hey, this this fellow also was with Jesus of Nazareth. But again, he denied with an oath. I do not know the man. Jesus under trial... Seeing him beaten, spat upon, Peter's standing there. I don't even know him. I don't, I, I, I don't know the man. And now a third time, and a little later, those who stood by came and said to Peter, Surely you also are one of them. You're one of them. For your speech betrays you. 
And then he began, Peter begins, to curse and to swear, saying, I I do not know the man. See, in this case where Peter, where Jesus was on trial, Peter was on trial. His faith was on trial. And he didn't do too good, did he? He was denying him, and three times. But then just as Jesus said, his Lord had said, you will do this three times before this rooster crows, and the rooster crows. What is going to happen when the rooster crows? Verse 75, and Peter remembered. Ooh. Ooh. And he remembered the word of, of Jesus who had said to him before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. So he went out and he wept bitterly. He went out and he wept bitterly. I want to take you, take you another passage. I want you to go to Luke. I want you to go to Luke chapter 22. Starting at verse 31, Luke twenty-two thirty-one. 31. This is Luke's account now here. The Lord said, Simon, Simon, indeed, Satan has asked for you that he might sift you as wheat. Now again, I want to say to you here in this, in this words of Jesus, when he says he is asked for you, that you is plural. That he might sift you as wheat. You is singular. So in that, in that sense, what he's saying is he's telling all of them that they're all going to be tested. Satan's asked for you, that he might sift you as wheat. But I've prayed for you, singular, that your faith should not fail, and when you have returned to me, strengthen your brethren. And that's a key verse there, if you haven't underlined it. Think about this. I prayed for you. Jesus says, I prayed for you, Peter, that your faith should not fail. And when you have returned to me, I want you to strengthen your brethren. But he said to him, Lord, I am ready to go with you both to prison and to death. And he said, no, I tell you, Peter, the rooster shall not crow this day before you'll deny me three times that you know me. Wow. And, that, and that's why, and, and, and so... Here's again an account. But it was Satan that asked to sift him. He, I want to sift this man like wheat. There was, a, there was an old uh, Puritan, if you don't know a Puritan, they were the real solid uh, religious guys back a long time ago. Uh, and one man by the name of, his last name was Trapp, referring to this passage, he says, um, when Jesus uses a fan to sift he does it to get rid of the chaff. But when Satan, the devil, uses a fan and sifts, he does it to get rid of the wheat. There's a difference between God being that winnowing fork or that fan that comes into your life to get rid of the chaff in your life, that sin in your life, that selfishness in your life, and Satan who says, I just want to get rid of you. Because I hate God. 
So I'm going to do all I can to destroy you and discourage you. I'm going to give you a trial. I'm going to put your life on trial. I'm going to give you a test. And in Satan's mind, you're going to fail. And in God's mind, he's saying, you're going to come through pure like gold. Oh, yeah, you're going to have to face trials. But those trials will be your revival. They will be your survival. They will be your cleansing. They will be empowering. They will be life-changing. All of us face life's trials and testings. The Bible says you may have to go through a trial if for a season, if necessary. And God knows if it's necessary, and he knows if it's needed in your life personally. So when you go, if you're going through a trial today, it's necessary, it's needed, but let me encourage you that God is just simply after the chaff to blow it away. But Satan wants you to be destroyed and discouraged. Well, he has no authority over you because Jesus died for you and has given his life for you. In Matthew chapter 3, verse 11, John the Baptist said that about Jesus that he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. That fire burns the chaff. The Holy Spirit comes and gives you power and gives you life. And verse 12 of Matthew chapter 3 says that his winnowing fork is in his hand and he will clear his threshing floor, gathering his wheat in the barn and burning up the chaff with unquenchable fire. Listen, when you're in a trial, when you're in a test, he wants the chaff, he wants to burn it up and he wants to put you safely in a barn with others. He wants to cleanse you. In Luke, uh, when he says in there, Luke twenty two thirty two, where Jesus says in NIV, it says, but I've prayed for you, Simon, that, and that your faith may not fail. And when you've turned back, strengthen your brothers. One of the translations says, when thou art converted. When you've been converted in your trial, when you recognize that, oh my gosh, I just denied my Lord. I just failed the test. And, but the love of God begins to come and minister to your heart, you get converted. And that's where you need to stand up and begin to share. And that's what happened to Jesus. I mean to Peter. When, when he, Peter, was denying the Lord, denying knowing him, Jesus was there, beaten, yes, been spat on. But there is a place where he tells the, where he looks at Jesus. I mean, where, where Jesus looks at Peter and he loves him as the rooster crows. And it's, um, it's, in, the, it's in the Gospel of Luke. And I've, and I've lost my verse where it's at. What chapter? Yes, thank you. Thank you, Ron. This is the, I don't know why it isn't in every, every, every gospel, but it's in here, in Luke. 
And so let me go, let me go to um, verse 60 just to remind us of what we're looking at. But Peter said, man, I do not know what you are saying. And immediately while he was still speaking, the rooster crowed. And the Lord turned and looked at Peter. And then Peter remembered the word the Lord of the Lord, how he had said to him before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. And so Peter went out and wept bitterly. This this is this reason I, I like to look at this uh, every year at this time, and even throughout the year, I myself go to this, because you see in this, there's no words between, there is no word spoken between Jesus and Peter. In the original language, when it says he looked at Peter, it, and I've said this last year, I probably said it the year before, he in-looked Peter. There's a difference between someone looking at you and someone in-looking you. When Jesus, who's God himself, God in the flesh, in-looks you, he looks right into your soul. And there's not a description in here of what Peter was fearful of in that, in, in that when he was watching his Lord being wrongly accused. But we, so we can only have an imagination of what was going on in his spirit. But you know how fast our brains work? You know how fast your brain, maybe, some, maybe we're getting old, getting old, a little older, that our brains don't work so fast? But our brains are just amazing. They are, you know, we're trying to get this uh, manufactured intelligence, but I don't know if we'll ever, ever get to where we can, they can match the human brain. There can be so much that can happen in an instant in your brain in terms of your memory. In my, in my thoughts here is that when Jesus in-looked Peter, the, the, the vast amount of thoughts that must have gone through his spirit, gone through his head, even picturing himself fishing on the shore, and Jesus calling him to come and be his disciple, picturing himself stepping out of the boat and standing on the water, picturing him up on the mountain, looking at this Lord and saying, Jesus is, is, is the only one. Picturing him walking along the road saying, saying I, I'll go to you to my death. No, you won't. And then Jesus looks into his soul with no words. I believe what caused him to go out and weep was he... He saw the love of Jesus when Jesus in looked him. Not only saw it, he felt it, he sensed it. It was a healing love, a forgiving love, a gracious love, a patient love that looked at him even when he's been beaten and spat on. I love you. Satan has asked to sift you as wheat. And he's not interested in the chaff. He's interested in you, the kernel of wheat, and he wants you to walk away now. But you won't, Peter, because when you get regenerated, when you get born, born again, with, uh, filled with the Holy Spirit, you will stand up and you will be my witness and you will remember. And the comfort that you're now receiving in this one instant look, you'll be able to comfort others with. You'll be able to counsel them. You'll be able to encourage them. You'll be able to write two epistles. And in, that, in those epistles, you'll be able to describe what is it that causes us to stand strong in our faith. 
And you'll, we'll, they'll be able to go there and look at them and learn from them. Yesterday I was looking at a, a listening to a, a country western because on Saturdays Pauline always has a, a country day. And one of the songs written by Keith Whitley, it's, it's, uh, it's a song that says, you, you say it best when you say nothing at all. And one of the lines in there is old Mr. Webster. Old Mr. Webster could never define what's been said between your heart and mine. You say it best when you say nothing at all. There's truth in your eyes saying you'll never leave me. And that's a country western song, obviously talking about a human relationship. But I want to take that and say, can you see Jesus in that? Can you see how Jesus... He said it best when he said nothing at all. He said it all. And he spoke deep into his heart. And Peter was under trial. And if you want to go just to, to uh, Peter's epistle, you go to chapter 2. And you look, now this is the second Peter, second Peter chapter, uh, chapter one, I mean, verse two. This is Peter writing. Well, he starts out his letter. He says, Simon Peter, I'm a bondservant of the apostle of, uh, and apostle of Jesus Christ to those who have obtained light, precious faith with us by the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. That's who he's writing to. And that's us when we've come to know Christ. He says, grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. And then he says this, I want you to take this home. As his divine power has given us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us by glory and virtue. By the knowledge of him who calls you by glory, that's all the power of God and virtue, his character, who he is. He'll never leave you nor forsake you. And by which have given us to us exceedingly great and precious promises that through these you may be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. And then he goes on that if you'll give, if you'll put, but also for this very reason, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue, to virtue knowledge, to knowledge self-control, to self-control perseverance, to perverse perseverance godliness, and to godliness brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness love. For if these are yours and abound, you will neither be neither barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. For he who lacks these things is short-sighted even to blindness and has forgotten he was cleansed from his old sins. Therefore, brethren, be even more diligent to make your call and election sure, for if you do these things, you'll never stumble. I think there's something behind that, those words that he wrote, you'll never stumble. He stumbled when he was watching Jesus in the courtyard. But he, now he's saying that God has given us a divine power. That's the Holy Spirit. That's this Holy Spirit that wants to, Holy Spirit and fire, that wants to cleanse us of chaff, cleanse us of our sin, wants to fill us with power. He says, you have this, then you add all these things, and you'll never fall. Now, we all know we do stumble and fall. 
Because we get our eyes off this, just like Peter got his eyes off of Jesus himself. He turned his back on him, said, I don't know him. He was in a terrible trial. So what are you going through? What's your trial? What are you struggling with? That Jesus is looking at you today without words, and he's saying, I love you. And I know you. I know what you've done. I know what you're thinking. I know your struggles. And I love you. And I have life for you. I'm interesting. I'm interested in taking the fan and the winning wing fork and removing that chaff. I want the wheat. Don't let the devil steal you, steal you from me. Turn to Jesus. Give your life to Jesus. In the Old Testament, I do want to look here in Zechariah. We've looked at this many times, but I want you to go to Zechariah chapter 3. This is a picture of Joshua standing before the Lord. Zechariah, Zechariah chapter 3, verses 1 through 5. I want you to picture yourself in this. And he showed me Joshua, the high priest, standing before the angel of the Lord, and Satan standing at his right hand to oppose him. The Lord said to Satan, The Lord rebuke you, Satan. The Lord who has chosen Jerusalem rebuke you. Is this not a brand? That's like us, a brand plucked from the fire? Now Joshua was, was clothed with filthy garments. He had a bunch of chaff all over him and was standing before the angel. And then he answered and spoke to those who stood before him, before the Lord, saying, Take away the filthy garments from him. And to him he said, See, I have removed your iniquity from you, and I will clothe you with rich robes. And I said, Let them put a clean turban on his head. So they put a turban on his head, and they put the clothes on him. And the angel of the Lord stood by. Satan was there accusing him. The Lord said, yeah, he's got filthy rags, but take them off and put clean clothes on him. Wash him clean, make him whiter than snow, because he's mine. That's what he says to you. And that, so when, when sometimes in life, when we reject the Lord, ignore the Lord, do you feel t terrible and bad about it? I hope you do. The devil wants to condemn you. The Holy Spirit simply wants to convict you. And that conviction says, put yourself before the Lord and have the Lord burn off the chaff. The condemnation of the devil says, don't you ever go to church again. You better not show up in that place because you've got filthy rags on you and they'll sniff it out. Well, that's a lie from the devil. and Don't believe him. The other thing with Peter is this, in his trial and what he learned later was that at Pentecost, he got filled with the Holy Spirit of God. That divine power that he's talking about in his epistle was the divine power of the Holy Spirit that came upon him. And that changed Peter. It gave him a power, you know, like Timothy said, I didn't give you a spirit of timidity. I gave you one of power. And I gave you one of a sound mind. And I gave you one of love. That's the kind of God he is. 
He wants to fill you up. But he wants to get you before him and say, look at you. And he may not have to say words at all, just like he did with Peter. He'll just in-look you and say, I love you. He looks past all that stuff. And he wants you to give him his life. But life is a trial. Jesus was on trial, but while Jesus was on trial, so was Peter. And I mentioned earlier to Todd that today I've got permission to talk about this, but you know, we prayed for, for Robbie that is dealing with, with the cancer. And then they find out this last week that his wife's dealing with, they're not sure what it is exactly yet, but something below the base of the brain. Do you think he's in a trial of his life? Do you think his faith is on trial? I'd just been looking at this, and I was over in the fellowship hall. And I walked from over in the fellowship hall, and there was Robbie working on the windows back in my office. In the secretary's office, actually. And uh, he started to share with me the news that he'd been getting. And, and I'm like, wow, and you're here working? And I said, can I pray for you? And this ministry, this, these verses, this whole aspect of a faith being on trial, I looked at Robbie and I said, your faith's on trial, man. But you're going to come through. We're going to pray you through. We will stand with you as a church. We're going to encourage you. Because the devil wants to destroy you and discourage you. God is in this to make you strong. Your, your trial will be your revival. It will be your survival. We can't see it forward, but we can see enough in Scripture to know that God is going to be with you, and we are going to be with you. And he said, I'll take all the prayer I can get. His faith's on trial. Has your faith been on trial lately? You had news? Have you had news, family members? Loved ones, different ones, and you look at it, and have you been tempted to say, where's Jesus? Where are you? You look like you're a beat-up guy. You don't look like a god of victory. You don't look like a, you look more like a victim. He says, no, I'm not. But everything I'm doing, everything he did in that courtroom was for us. The punishment we did deserve, he took on us so that we can have life and have it to the full. Our brother Robbie and his wife Joy, they're facing the trial of their lives. And I pray that Robbie, as he sees Jesus looking at him and as Joy sees Jesus looking at her, that they see how much he really does care and he's going to see him through the trial. And Robbie's going to know that he's got a church family here praying for him and loving him and standing with him. Old Mr. Webster could never define what's been said between your heart and mine. Hmm. But you say it best when you say nothing at all. Who do you need to go see this week and look at them and maybe without words, in-look them and love them. 
Receive the love of Jesus today into your heart. Receive that winnowing fork, that quenching fire. Burn off the chaff in you. Be filled with his divine power. And then go out and breathe life into somebody like Robbie and like Joy who are just receiving tough news and stand with them and stand with your friends, your family, your loved ones. Father, in the name of Jesus, I, I just give this to you. And um, Father, I pray in the name of Jesus that we would recognize as you look at us today that you look at us with a saving look. You look at us with a restoring look. Glance of your eye is a look of full love. We can't express it. There's not words really that can express it. We can't even describe it in, in words. But Lord, we believe that when you look at us, you look at us with infinite compassion and you look at us with an assurance even when, like Peter, he was denying you. Lord, you went on trial and you submitted yourself to it and you bore our pain and despite the fact that Peter denied you, you loved him and you restored him. He was regenerate. He was filled with your Holy Spirit. And eventually, he gave his life himself for you. I pray that, Lord, whatever trial anyone in our room right now, anyone who's listening on this website is going through, that that trial would turn in to a fruitful revival. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.